And with that, it's time uh, to say good morning to Mohammed Nala, analyst at NetBank Capitals. Hi, Mohammed. Morning, Sakina. Morning to the listeners. Now, we can't not talk about China. Looking at what happened yesterday and those Chinese stocks extended their biggest route in eight years, Mohammed. Yeah, I must say very scary, Sakina. I mean, when we were speaking yesterday around this time, I mean, Chinese stocks were down, but they weren't down to the extent that they, they closed down yesterday. So yesterday, we had uh, the biggest route in Chinese stocks in eight years. Now, now this obviously on the back of the fact that we had the authorities stepping in just a little while ago in terms of trying to shore up their market, it looked as though they were succeeding. And then subsequent to that, yesterday, we saw those fears resurface yet again. Now, uh, there is some speculation that a lot of this drop has been caused by the fact that we've got Chinese retail uh, investors effectively selling off some of their ETF holdings, that's exchange-traded funds. And so obviously those holders within the ETFs or the fund themselves would be compelled to actually go into the Chinese market, Shanghai Composite for that, uh, for that matter, uh, and effectively indiscriminately sell stocks. Uh, I certainly think that you know we, we've got massive structural issues in China that we've spoken about at, at quite some length. Uh, and the authorities are grappling with trying to shore up that system. The fact of the matter, though, is that the degree of leverage in financial markets, not just China, but financial markets in general, has escalated to levels that are quite, uh, let's let's call them quite scary in some respects. And this is the same for the S&P, for example. If you have a look at the amount of margin behind this rally that we've actually seen in various markets, it does leave equity markets in specific uh, relatively vulnerable to these degrees of correction. And specifically, if that leverage is coming from retail investors. So that obviously remains a concern. They have paid losses in today's trading session. As you mentioned, at one point in time, we were down almost 5% in the early session today, now down just around 1%. And so that's leaving the rest of Asia fairly mixed. Uh, But bearing in mind, I think that masks a degree of unease that has been quite pervasive in markets over the course of the last month at least. Indeed. And um, just the other story, the uh, oil market glut and uh, pushing prices lower there, $53 this morning. Yeah, that's good news. I mean, it's good news for South African consumers because South Africa remains an oil importer. And, and we had that oil price, if you recall, around the time of the last NPC, oil prices were around $63 a barrel, and some people were, were expecting that to rally back up to $70. The fact of the matter is that there's a massive glut in terms of supply in, in, in the oil markets. It's oversupplied by quite some, some degree. Global demand continues to remain quite sluggish. And so in that context, and then if you bring that Iranian supply back on the market, it's just an trenches that supply glut on a global basis. So we're seeing that being a, a key feature that has pushed oil prices from around 56 odd dollars just a few days ago back to the lower 50s. And if this does continue, is it conceivable that oil moves back into the 40s? Well, absolutely yes. And as a South African, as a, as a consumer, uh, that's something that we would certainly hope for uh, and may even allay some of the inflationary fears that the Reserve Bank were speaking about at the NPC last week. Uh, so a lot riding on this, uh, but we could possibly see a decline in terms of the petrol price. We know that uh, as we go into uh, into the next month, uh, so that's next week effectively, but also very dependent on what happens with that rand exchange rate. So just keep an eye out on those two things, but some good news on the horizon if oil continues uh, to decline in the in the medium term. Mohammed Huleman and Group 5 updates yesterday, uh, that shed a bit of light on the tough business environment that companies currently face. 
Yeah, so, so very quickly, I mean, it, 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 let's maybe first look at Hulman. So Hulman is, is actually a, an aluminium fabricator, if you want to call it that. And they put out some numbers yesterday. Uh, that stock traded down quite sharply. So the stock was down around 5%. Uh, some big concern, obviously, as an aluminium fabricator, it's a very energy-intensive industry. And so something that came through in terms of those results, firstly, the, the headline numbers, operating profit down 34% and sales down 16%. Those, those are massively negative numbers. But the energy constraint coming through quite strongly in terms of that update, uh, they did mention that they are looking at, uh, at uh, effectively some emergency capacity that keeps them going. But we know that kind of business, uh, you cannot rely on that emergency capacity from an energy perspective. So I think that uh, certainly uh, a bit of a negative update yesterday in the market, not liking like it. Group 5, uh, also just a trading update, not any real numbers there, but they're expecting earnings to be down between 40 to 50%. And that sure, uh, saw that that stock closed down around 12.7% yesterday, so just shedding light in terms of how difficult it is uh, in, the, in the domestic uh, economy. Mm. And a question here from uh, DB in Durban, Mohammed. Uh, DB wants to know, please ask Mohammed Nala to explain in simple terms what is a hostile takeover in light of Curo and um, Ad- Avtec? I knew this was coming. I mean, in very simple terms, Sakina, I mean, a normal takeover, if you want to call it that, is a company signals its intent to the board. If the board likes it, you know, they effectively give it its blessing and then, they, you know, they agree to a deal and so on and so forth. In the form of a hostile takeover, and that's the case with regards to Kuro and Advertech, the Advertech board having a look at it saying, we, you know, as the representatives of our shareholders, we don't think that this offers in the best interest of the company and so so we're not we're not going to consider it, uh, and when that actually becomes the the rhetoric, uh, effectively doesn't preclude Kuro from going directly to shareholders and making an offer, effectively circumventing the board. So it's, it, a hostile takeover would be a deal that doesn't have the blessing of the board. Uh, and in this particular instance, I mean Kuro is still within its rights to take its offer directly to shareholders. Shareholders can then vote. Uh, and and they can get the uh, the deal across the line that way. Uh, notwithstanding all of that, I mean, uh, just very quickly looking at the numbers on these two things. Kuro is a stock that has gone up in very much a straight line over the last while, but it trades on a PE multiple of 198. That means it would take you 198 years to pay back your investment just based on earnings. And so I, I can understand some reservation with regards to an all uh, an all equity uh, swap type of a deal, but it does look as though the deal that has been put on the table by Kuro for Advertech, which trades at a discount to where Kuro's trading, uh, does have a little bit of a cash underpin that may well allow the minority shareholders to cash out if they don't want to actually swap into Kuro shares. So you know, it looks as though it may well go the hostile route at this stage, but let's keep an eye out on that. Simplistically, that, that's the main difference. One has the blessing of the board, the other one uh, doesn't.